All right, are you ready for God's word this morning? Turn with me to Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, and I'm going to continue the series we started a few weeks ago called Freeing Me, Freeing Me. And, um, and we're talking about what we call around here freedom. And I know for a lot of people, this gets a little bit confusing because people say, well, I'm not in prison, so I'm free. Um, I've done prison ministry, and I can tell you that I've met people in prison who are more free than people who are outside of the prison um, because it's not about physical confinement. It's about freedom in your soul. And freedom, we say this, and I've had church people well-meaning say, yeah, we need freedom ministry. That's good for all the addicts. And we've talked some about that in this series, but, um, but the addicts are not the only people that need to be free. It's just their bondage is easier to see. <laughs> because addiction comes from a Latin word that really just means to have a propensity to or an inward bending to, and all of you have inward bendings to something. Just like you may be addicted to um, the acclamation or adoration or affirmation that you get from social media, and you go in a tailspin when somebody doesn't like your post. That's an addiction. It's just not crack. So... <laughs> And so when we talk about freedom, we're not talking about not doing bad stuff, not doing bad stuff. I mean, it's good not to do bad stuff, but that's really not freedom. Freedom is when I am free to be exactly who God created me to be, who God redeemed me to be. So when, when I get all the obstacles and things out of the way where I can truly be the person God created me to be, and, and where this series comes from for me, it's part of my testimony. I was raised in church. I knew what it was like to be in church and know how to do church and be very churchy and still be very bound and still not be the person. I know what it's like to know the person God's cre created me to be and redeemed me to be and not be able to be that person because I've got all this stuff. I've got all these hindrances and obstacles and bondages and wounds and all these shackles in my life. That's, that's part of my story. And so for me, I take this very seriously because I look in this room and I think these people could take over the world. I think God has created these people to do probably more than they can imagine in this moment. And then I start wondering, I wonder what's keeping them right now from being the person God created them to be. Right? Is it a codependence in relationships? Is it an anger issue? Right? Is it, is it a bondage or addiction? Those are the easy ones to find. But is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it insecurity? What, what is it that's keeping people from living their best life? And I, I think to, to do what God's called you to do, you have to become who God created you to be. Like if you want the secret of doing everything that God's called you to do, I'm giving it to you. Become who he created you to be. And so what I want to talk about today is probably the best, the best message I could give you, um, maybe in this series, I, I don't know, but it's probably one of the best ones because today I want to talk about um, the fact that, that becoming who God created you to be is a process. And, and here's part of my story, and, and I love um, the, the church that I grew up in, I love my parents, and, um, but... Um, I wasn't a part of that church at the time, but I was at a different church when my life kind of spiraled out of control. And so I knew, I knew how to do church because I was raised in it. I knew how to say, bless God, glory to God, hallelujah. I knew how to dress. I knew all the verbiage. But even though I could go to church and play church, and I knew exactly how to do church, I went home and it was hell because I was disconnected from my family. I was very broken. I was in and out of depression. 
Um, I had all these things that were controlling my life. And, and, and my family, anytime they needed me, they just got a busy signal. But I could walk in the church with my suit and tie on and smile and say, oh, Jesus is the answer. Right? Because I was part of a church where you couldn't admit you had stuff. If you admitted you had stuff, you were just judged. And the only thing they could offer me was a prayer and stop it. And what happens when you've had more anointing oil, you've had so much anointing oil put on your head that you could have changed the oil in your car 15 times. And they prayed for you and prayed for you and prayed for you and said, hey, stop it. Hey, 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 stop it. Hey, pray for you. Hey, stop it. That's not working. (laughs) And so, you know, if stop it would have been good enough, we'd only needed the Ten Commandments. And so, and so for me, I had to go on a process. And unfortunately for me, I didn't have anyone that could tell me what that process was supposed to look like. And I had to figure it out the hard way. And I had to go through some hard things and figure out some things. But I, I, what I determined that me becoming me, and sometimes people look and they, they even now look, and, and I've still got a long ways to go. I'm still in a process of freedom myself, right? Like I haven't gotten there. Now, I'm a lot closer maybe than I was, but I'm not there yet. But, but people still look and say, man, you're, you're doing great. Well, you don't know. First of all, you don't know what I'm walking through. But secondly, you don't know how hard I've walked to get here. Right? And so let's not be in this illusion that, that somehow magically little sugar plum fairies or angels come and sprinkle us and then everything's okay. No, we walk a process. There is no progress for the person who will not embrace a process. And, and listen, because I was raised or I was in a church that all they had to offer was what I call the zap. Right? Like you're addicted, we'll pray, God will zap you. You're depressed, we'll pray, God will zap you. What happens when the zap? Here, can I tell you something? My experience, I've now been in ministry 20 years. I started when I was four. And, um, <laughs> and so... But, but literally, I've been a pastor for 20 years. Um, here's the thing that I've learned in, in working with all types of people, helping people. The zap is about 0.01% of the time. And here's why. Because if God zaps us every time we need something, it undermines character development and our own spiritual growth. And we end up just malnourished babies who every time we face something in life, just expect God to fix it. He's not vanilla ice. It's not like, yo, there's a problem. I'll solve it. You know, <laughs> check out the hook while my DJ revolves. You know, that's not what God does. He doesn't fix it. He doesn't solve it for us every time we have a problem because God cares more about our character than our comfort. And God wants us to grow. And so I'm going to help you with a process today. I call this message um, the, the progress of process. The progress of process. In Luke chapter 13, I'll show you some ingredients and some elements um, and some characters, if you will, that I think are involved in a process of progress. And so in Luke 13, verse 6, it says, Then he told his parable. He said, A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any, so cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, then fine. And if not, then 
I'll cut it down. I, I like this thing, so I'm just going to extract some things out of this text. This is a parable that Jesus tells us, so he's trying to give us truth in story form. He's trying to teach us something. And so the first thing we see is that there's a man who owns a vineyard, and he comes to a fig tree, and the fig tree is not producing fruit. Um, and so the first picture we get is what I call what being stuck looks like. What it looks like to be stuck. In other words, hey, here's a fig tree. I'm looking for fruit and I can't find any. It's been three years and no fruit. And so here's what being stuck looks like. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. Like I, My life's not bearing fruit. My relationships are not bearing fruit. My spiritual walk is not bearing fruit. There, there's no fruit. Here's, and, and let me help you. Let me give some clarification because I know I'm talking to church people. And so let me tell you how I apply this to my life is there's no new fruit. There's no new fruit. Because, you know, I've been a pastor. We started this church seven years ago. And, and I could look at a weekend like last weekend. We had 75 people baptized and 17 decisions for Christ. I say, look at all that fruit. But my question is, is there any new fruit in my life? Like, is there new fruit in, in my marriage? Is there new fruit in my relationship with my kids? Is there new fruit in the way I develop my team? Is there new fruit in the direction that the church is going? Is there new fruit? Because if I'm just celebrating the fruit from three years ago, I'm not actually growing. I'm just having a pep rally over something God did a long time ago. And so this is what being stuck looks like. Hey, there's just, there's no fruit. My relationships aren't bearing fruit. You know, maybe in my vocation, I'm not seeing fruit in my spiritual life, personally, in my character, whatever the case may be. I'm not seeing fruit. And when I'm not seeing fruit or I'm not, I'm not seeing new fruit, then I'm stuck. It doesn't matter how many church services I go to, how many life groups I'm a part of. If I'm not seeing fruit, I'm stuck. Right? If I'm not seeing fruit, I'm not growing. And so this is a great picture of what being stuck looks like. And can I tell you what this passage tells me is you can't ignore growth forever because at some point, something is going to demand some kind of fruit from you. So I can't ignore growth forever. And I'll tell you why, because life's going to happen. And there's going to be a doctor's report or there's going to be a pink slip or one of my kids is going to go crazy or whatever the case may be. Life's going to happen. Life is going to demand from me some fruit. Just like in this passage, life's going to demand fruit and I need to have fruit when, the life, when life demands fruit. And I've seen a lot of people lose their way and fall out and have struggles and have problems because they weren't focused on growing and producing fruit. And then all of a sudden life came for a harvest of fruit they didn't have. And that was a struggle. See, life demands, here's the thing, pain doesn't go away Patterns don't go away. Sin doesn't go away. I think, you know, a lot of people nowadays, especially younger generation, they think, well, I'll just outgrow my sin. I think it's a huge lie with teenagers that it's like, it's okay to look at porn now, but, you know, someday I'll get married and I'll stop that. I'll grow out of it. And what you don't understand that porn, porn and pornography now for boys and for girls is just as addicting as crack. It's just as addicting as heroin. And it does as much, if not more damage to your brain than chemical drugs. It actually damages the prefrontal cortex of your brain, which is your emotional center, which is what allows you to emotionally connect to that wife that you hope to have or to that husband that you hope to have. 
And I think the enemy says, well, you know, this is okay now because you're a teenager, but someday you're just going to grow out of this. No, you won't. You won't grow out of it. And even when you stop it, now your brain has to be healed. Right? So you don't grow out of bondage. You, you You don't grow out of life patterns. I've been in one broken relationship after the other, after the other, after the other, but I'm sooner or later going to find that right person. Let me help you. It's not the other people. (laughs) That's not to be condemning. That's called truth and love. You know, it's like you are wherever you go and every relationship you get into, you're going to be there. And you may say, well, they, yeah, they did it. I'm not saying they didn't do it. I'm saying, what did the selection process look like? I've, you just can't ignore growth, and, and you can't passively produce fruit. You can't passively produce fruit just like you can't passively grow out of sin or life patterns. And you know, Can I tell you something? Even the pain that we endure and the trauma to our soul, we don't, time doesn't heal that. It's the biggest lie I've ever heard. Well, time heals all. No, no, no. I've counseled with a lot of people that are still mad as hell over something that happened 20 years ago, and it's still controlling their life because somebody in the church told them, you know, just pray for them. Time's going to heal. Time's never healed anything. The blood of Jesus heals, but it has to be applied to what's broken. And so you, you, don't, you don't grow out of it, and you don't passively produce And so there's what being stuck looks like, and here's what keeps us stuck it's judgment keeps us stuck. Or you could say this way, the law keeps us stuck. Because here's a fruit tree, it's not produced fruit. And what's the first reaction? Cut it down. It's, it's, that's a legal response. It's a, it's, it's a law-based response. In other words, you're not fruit. It's an all or nothing response. Not bearing fruit, cut it down. It's judgment, right? Judgment by the law. Um, James says, if you've broken one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of the law. The law says you're either all good or all bad. Like, here's a religious teaching for you, because this is what I think cripples more relationships in the church than anything else. We see people because religion has trained us. The law has trained us to be judgmental, and we either judge people as good or bad. Like, one of the things that cracks me up more than anything is people can be in this church for four years. God can save them, save their family, disciple their family, and they'll, they, they post about Pastor Oh, Pastor Mario's so wonderful. Oh, my gosh, those messages are so life-giving. He is just a wonderful person. Then I preach one thing they don't like. And the next post is, he is Satan's twin brother. What is wrong with him? He should go back to hell where he came from. And it's like, bro, you can't just say, I didn't really agree with point number three. Like you're a good guy, but I didn't like point number three. I can counsel with them, do weddings and do funerals and visit hospitals. And the one time I'm not available for the lunch, all of a sudden it's like, My God, that man's evil. (laughs) Can I help you with something that's called reality? And reality is that you, just like me, we have positive and negative realities. So I can tell you my positive realities. I can tell you my strengths. I can also tell you my weaknesses. And I can tell you that's really who I am. I have all these good things and I have some bad things. And maturity is when I can look at you and say, man, look at all these good things. And yeah, you got a few bad things but I'm going to love you in reality, not just love the good parts of you and then hate the bad parts of you because I'm not going to live in judgment. And so let me help you if you haven't figured this out. I'm screwed up. 
And so if you need a, a church with a perfect pastor, I'm sorry, you picked the wrong one. Go down the street where they'll lie to you. Like what qualifies me to be a pastor is I'm screwed up. Because <clears throat> if you're screwed up, we can talk. Right? But, but here's what I'm saying. If you, if you think I'm, bless your heart, if you think I'm perfect, I'm like, here, let me help you. Someone said this way, I love it. You know what being a pastor is like? It's, it's uh, disappointing people at a rate they can handle. Because you hang out here long enough, I'm going to disappoint you. Because there's just one of me, right? And so let me help you with something. I, if you get close enough to me, you're going to see a lot of good things, and you're going to see some bad things, and that's going to be who I really am. Now, I'm working on the bad things, right? I am. I, I'm, I'm working on those. <laughs> but can I help you with something? If I get close enough to you, I'm going to see some good things, and I'm going to see some bad things. And I'm just going to love you, right? Because I'm not going to sit... In, in judgment for anyone, um, because can I tell you something? Judgment always makes things worse. Your kid messes up, judge them and see if they get better or worse. Paul said to the Corinthian church that the law increases sin. See, here's the problem with the law. The first problem with the law is it makes me the solution. Romans 8 says the law was weak in that it depended on my flesh, right? So the law says, try harder. So here's the pattern of someone who needs to get free. Never going to do it again. Oh, I did it again. Okay, I need to try harder. Never going to do it again. Oh, I did it again. Condemnation, try harder. Not going to do it again. Did it again. Condemnation, try harder. Because the law makes you the solution. And you can't be the solution. Right? See, the law is powerless to change you. It just points out what you do wrong. Right? And so the law, the law can't help you the law can't help you because you can't fix you. If, if you could fix you, stop it would work. <laughs> or start it. And so, so the problem with the law is it makes you the solution. And the problem with the law is that it condemns. It always makes us guilty, condemns us, shames us, causes us to hide. When we're under condemnation, when we need God the most, we hide from him the most. Just like Adam the one time Adam needed God more than any other time was after he ate the fruit when he was, felt guilty and ashamed. And what did he do? He hid. And God had to try to find him. It's a great picture, really, of grace because there's some people probably in this room, you're still hiding from God and God's still trying to find you. But it's because the law, the law makes us feel bad about us because we messed up again, right? And so then sin increases. So, so in our relationships, if, hey, my kids got a problem, I judge them, makes it worse. My, my spouse has something going on, I judge them, makes it worse. Someone in my life group has something going on. I, anytime I judge, it makes things worse. Judgment doesn't fix anything. So if you're stuck, the law won't fix it. Judgment won't fix it. So what happens? Well, in Luke 13, what happens? Well, then an advocate in there enters. So there's no fruit, cut it down, and then there's an advocate. And the advocate says, sir, uh, leave it alone for one more year. In other words, hey, here's what the advocate does. Let's remove condemnation. In other words, the advocate says, let's, let's remove the judgment because nothing's going to grow in a judgmental environment. Nothing's going to go in a legalistic environment. Nothing can grow in legalism. Nothing can grow in judgment. Let's remove the judgment. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? There is therefore now, Paul said in Romans 8. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law and sin and death. It's what Paul was saying a couple of chapters earlier in, in Romans 6. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. That's the beauty of Christ. He said, hey, this law condemns you. I'll remove you from the law. I can't remove the law from you. It's going to stand forever, but I'll remove you from the law. You were, Romans 6, you were in this prison camp of sin. And by, by God's grace, he removed you and put you under grace. And now I'm not condemned. <laughs> now, now I'm free from the law. Christ has freed me. He's removed me from condemnation. He, he's given me acceptance apart from performance. Right? It freaks religious people out, but, but can I help you with something? <laughs> Under grace, your behavior does not maintain your relationship with God. That's called law. Under grace, if my performance can't save me, then my performance can't s sentence me. And now it freaks everybody out. Well, how do you control people? How does God, maybe God's not trying to control us. Maybe that's why he gave us a Holy Spirit and one of the fruits is self-control. God actually wants us to control ourselves. He doesn't want to zap us all the time. He actually wants to grow us into people with character and ability to actually control the functions of our own life as we surrender to him. And so, so this advocate says, we've got to do away with condemnation. Isn't that what Jesus did to the woman caught in adultery? Remember that story? I, I, it was probably a setup more likely to trap Jesus because they caught her in adultery, but there's no man mentioned. And I'm not real sharp on how all this works, but the best I can figure out, adultery takes more than one person. And so they catch her in adultery and they throw her down at the feet of Jesus and they're, and they're like, the law says, here's what religion, can I tell you the danger of religion? Religion knows the word of God and not the heart of God. And when you know the word of God and not the heart of God, you'll kill something God's trying to resurrect. And so they throw her down at the feet of Jesus and they, and they said, this one was called adultery and the law says to stone her. And, and, and Jesus says, well, anyone who hasn't ever sinned, you, you throw the first rock. And he bends down and he starts writing, and this is just my holy imagination, but he starts writing on the ground and, and it says they left, they, they just leave all of a sudden from the oldest to the youngest. And I think Jesus started with the oldest one there and started listing their sin. <laughs> like, here's who you committed adultery with, Bob. <laughs> and I think by the time it got about halfway through the list, they're like, I'm out of here. I don't want to see mine written in the dirt. <laughs> but then Jesus looks at the woman who was very much caught in adultery, without a doubt. And he says, where are those that accuse you? And she said, I don't know. They're gone. And here's what Jesus said. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and live differently. Here's what he's telling us. You can't go and live differently until you remove condemnation because condemnation is what separates me from God. The same way it did Adam. Are you with me? And so you've got to have an advocate that removes condemnation. Can I help you with something else? You need an advocate with flesh on that helps remove condemnation. Because we always, well, God's all I need and Jesus is my advocate, and that's true. But you need an advocate with flesh on. You need somebody who knows your faults and accepts you completely. 
not to say life group again, but in a life group, that's why we do them, actually, because you need somebody in your life group that you can say, man, here's what's going, here's what's happened, here's what I've done, and they still show you acceptance. They still remove condemnation. When you, when you say, well, I've done it again, they say, I'm so sorry. Man, I love you, and I want you to know I love you just as much now. We're going to work on what happened, but you need to know we're in this together. Like there's no condemnation here. James says in James 5.16, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. That word means be renewed. He didn't say confess your faults to God. We, we know if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We understand that. But James is telling us something else. He's saying you need other people. You need, you, need, you, need, you need a no-fly zone of condemnation, if you will, in a context of community so that you can be renewed. And so advocates are not just Jesus. Advocates are other people. By the way, do you know if you've, dealt, if you've gone through something traumatic, an abuse, a loss, a tragedy, something that's really damaged your soul, do you know just telling your story in, in a safe place actually starts healing your soul? Just telling your Like when we meet with someone for freedom, the first thing we do is we just let them tell their story. We just let them tell their story. And every time after they finally told, they're like, gosh, I just feel so much better. I'm like, you've started the healing process because you've told someone your story. And now we can pray and God will start the healing process because you, you got that out. Does that make sense? So that's for being stuck. And then there's an advocate, right? And then there are these three ingredients. And I really want to spend the rest of my time on these three ingredients. Because this is what freedom, growth, discipleship, whatever you want to call it, the name you want to put with it. But this is, it always has these three ingredients. It always has these three ingredients. If you come meet with us for pastoral ministry, we're going to give you these three ingredients because this is what works. You see, you need to understand, I know what it's like to not be winning and to have to find a process and healing and restoration and, and still dealing with stuff and still trying to win, but winning more today than I did yesterday. See, I know what that's like. And that's what I want for all of you. I want you to win. I just want you to win. And here's the thing. I've done so much study. I mean, it's what Julie and I do all the time. We study how to help people win. We don't study how to do church. Anybody can figure out, sing a song, give a message, send people home. Oh, and take an offering, which we don't do. I guess we don't do a lot of things right. Anyways, but, but anybody can figure out how to do church. That's, that's the easy part. We want to figure out how to create an environment where people win, how to create systems where people win. And Julie and I'd love to be your life coach. We would. But there's more of you than there are of us. So we've multiplied ourselves into staff and into life group coaches and into life group leaders and into leadership teams. Because we're creating a network of people that can help you win, and we all do it the same way because we actually know what works. And these three things always work. The first one, the first ingredient that we see in Luke 13 is grace. Here's what he says. Let me fertilize it. In other words, grace is unmerited or undeserved favor. In other words, grace gives me something. See, mercy is where I don't get the punishment that I deserve. But grace gives me. It's a deposit of something. It gives me something. And he says, hey, this tree needs something it doesn't have. And that's where we're going to have to start the freedom process or the growth process. It needs something. So we're going to have to give it some grace. Because grace is an unbroken, unearned, undeserved connection with God. 
That's what, that's what makes healing work. When you realize that it's grace that maintains my relationship with God, not my behavior, that Jesus actually maintains my relationship with God. He's not going to mess up anytime soon. And so I have a relationship with God because of Jesus. He maintains it. So my relationship with God doesn't change no matter what I do. I know that makes everyone nervous. So let me give you a scripture. Romans 5, 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one, how much more those, do you see this? So Adam sinned and we all died. Merry Christmas. But watch what it says. How much more, how much grace is always more than law. Grace always gives us more than law took away. How much more will those who receive, watch this, receive. Now, does it say earn or receive? Okay, receive. Receive God's abundant provision of grace. In other words, he has more grace than you have sin. Those who receive the abundant provision of grace and the gift. Does it say gift or goal? Gift. And the gift of righteousness, watch, will reign in life. They get to win. What's the first step in winning? I've got to receive God's grace and righteousness. What is righteousness? It's a right relationship with God. Do I earn righteousness or receive it? Well, according to Paul, who seemed to be an authority, he said you receive it. Amen. You receive it. Now, I know I hear all the religious demons. Well, but can you just live any way you want to live? Pastor, it's just heresy. Listen, I've been preached against for preaching this. But this is God's word. Now, I'll get to the other part. Just hold your diaper, okay? I'll get there. But you got to understand where it starts. And it starts with the work of Jesus, not the work of your flesh. Because when I'm under grace, condemnation is removed and I have a connection with God that I don't maintain. Jesus maintains it. And that's where growth starts. See, grace isn't just acceptance. That's, that's a symptom. Grace is that undeserved favor where I get something. Well, what do I get? Well, the first thing I get is I get God's spirit in me. I get God's spirit. In, that's something I didn't have before. It's something I can't earn, but I get God's spirit in me. I get, as Peter said, I become a, a partaker of a divine nature. And that's a work of grace, right? So, so grace by God gives me his, his spirit. That's going to produce fruit of love and joy and peace, right? So I need that. But, but that's not all. And people, um, people think that's all. Jesus, uh, Jesus and Julie, their voices sound the same to me. <laughs> but Julie said something the other day. I'll, get, I'll give her credit for it, even though I'd like to preach it. So I'm going to give her credit for it, and then I'm going to preach it. How about that? But she was talking the other day, and she said, you know, when, when God said it's not good for, for man to be alone, he wasn't saying it's not good for man to be single. In other words, it's not good for man not to be married. He was saying, no, it's just not good for man not to have people. Okay, God's opinion, looking at Adam, who had a perfect relationship with him, wasn't that, well, he needs to get married. No, his opinion was he can't win by himself. Like, I've tasked him to take dominion, but he can't do that by himself. Like, I know we're good, but he needs some people. Uh, 1 Peter 4.10 says that we steward God's grace in various forms. In other words, God's grace, that un, un, undeserved deposit of God's goodness, comes through people to us. That's why you have to have a life group to win. 
Believe it or not, we don't have life groups to try to make people do something and then laugh about it like, ooh, we got them to go to life group. No, that's not what we do. <laughs> we have a life group because that's how you win. Right? Because people, if you're the only person that knows your struggle, you will not win. Because you need grace coming through people. You need acceptance coming through people. You need love coming through people. God created us with needs, needs that people meet. That's why he says we belong to a body as much as we belong to Christ, right? And so he created us. And let me help you with this. Your spouse cannot meet all your needs. That would make them God or something. You know, it's not a good deal. You need, to, you, you need people to meet your needs. And so, so he says, here's this thing. You need grace. And then he says, you need truth. Dig around it. Dig around. That's what truth does. Truth is secondary to grace, but truth is just as necessary. Jesus was grace and truth. He wasn't part grace and part truth. He wasn't 80% grace and 20% truth. He was 100% grace and 100% truth. And he said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Let me say it another way. The truth you don't know is why you're in bondage. John, uh, John 3 verse 20 says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light. That's what bondage looks like. We have to hide. Lest our deeds be exposed. Verse 21, though, tells us what happens, what freedom looks like. But he who does the truth, notice it doesn't say does good. This is where religion gets it wrong. Religion says you've got evil, do good. Try harder, do better. Jesus didn't say try harder, and he didn't say do good. He said do truth. So if, if you're doing evil and you run from the light, that's bondage. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds will be seen, that they're clearly been done in God. In other words, truth, doing truth is the secret to, to living the life that God's created. See, let me help you. Grace is the relational aspect of God's character. Truth is the structural aspect. So let me help you with this. Grace maintains my relationship with God. Truth helps me look like him. Grace says you're covered no matter how jacked up you are. Truth says, I love you too much to leave you there. There is no place for, well, I'm under grace. I don't have to change. No, no, no. Grace is what gives us a, 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 an environment with no condemnation where we can accept truth and be changed. That's why grace is first. Truth is second. Because if you have truth without grace, that just kills people. But grace without truth just makes them completely impotent and they'll never live their best life right? I have to have grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. He said, hey, unconditional acceptance, but that's not unconditional approval. Do you know what unsanctified mercy is? It's where we show mercy where God isn't. It's one of my biggest concerns with the church. And um, I'll, I'll say I always get blitzed every time I say this. I get hate mail. Uh, so here's the more hate mail anonymously sent to me. By the way, if you send me mail anonymous, I don't read it. Just because if you don't love me enough to talk to me or put your name on it, why would I want to read anything you have to say to me? So let me just help you with that. I will listen to if you sign your name. I'll call you back. We can talk about it. Like, I don't get offended. But calling me names and not signing your name is kind of like, well, that's just the devil. You need deliverance is what you need. <laughs> All right. So... <laughs> um. But my biggest concern with the church is when the church goes silent about um, the gender issues, 
and the homosexual. Now listen to me. If you're here and we have people in our church who are struggling with uh, same-sex attraction, uh, they're, they're, they're gay. We have people that come to church here. And, and I say this, and I mean it. You matter to me. You matter to God. And, and I'm not judging you for that. So I, I haven't dealt with that. So I'm not going to judge something I don't completely understand. I'm not going to judge things I do understand because God told me not to judge. But, but here's what I will say. You're accepted just as you are. You can come to this church and be gay. You can be bisexual. You can be a lesbian. You can come to this church. I would love for you to come to this church. What I need to also say is I love you so much, I can't change the Bible for you. So I, I love you. I'll never judge you. I will pastor you like everybody else, but I love you so much I can't change the Bible for you. Because of the areas of my life that were keeping me bound, I'm so glad no one changed the Bible for me. I'm so glad no one changed truth for me. And it's unsanctified mercy because when we go merciful where God is not showing mercy, we cut people off from the conviction of the Holy Spirit and ensure that they never get to live a life of freedom. That's why it's unsanctified mercy. Because we need truth. And truth is supposed to make us uncomfortable. And truth is supposed to deal with issues in our heart and in our soul, right? Uh, Truth comes from, let me give you a few different areas that truth comes from. First of all, God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says God's word divides. It, it divides. It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. Divides between the spirit and the soul. Um, it, it, God's word's supposed to deal with the motives of my heart. Right? God's word is supposed to say, hey, why don't you just do that? What's going on with that? One of the prayers that I pray a lot is from Psalm 139 where, where David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. That's a prayer I pray because I'm like, God, there might be areas in my life where I'm not walking in truth because you haven't shown me truth. How many know God's gracious? He doesn't show you all the truth the first day because you'd bury yourself. It's like layers of an onion. You know, it's like, God, you know, you start walking in victory and something and God's like, oh man, praise God. And we have a pepper out and he's like, hey, here's the next thing we get to deal with. You do know that's how God works, right? Right? And so... And so God's word, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, right? He's the spirit of truth and the spirit of truth guides me into all truth. Um, But then there's this one, there's other people. Ephesians 4 says, speaking the truth in love so we can all grow up. The reason some people don't grow up, no one around them speaks the truth in love. Like if you're in a life group, somebody's like, hey, I'm a really relational guy. And you're like, hey, you've had five girlfriends in the last four weeks and you've broken all their hearts. You're not a relational guy, you're a jerk. It's okay, Jesus can heal you, but you need some truth right now, bro. Right? So there's other people. And then there's fruit. Like if, if you want to know, you know, if you want to know the truth, look at the fruit of your life because fruit doesn't lie. Be your own fruit inspector. <laughs> here's the last one. So grace, truth, here's the last one, time. There's no progress if you don't embrace a process. Um, growth and freedom is always a process. It's a process I'm still in. I want to live my best life. I want to become my best self. I, I'm, in, I'm in groups, leadership groups. I'm, I have a counselor. I have a life coach. <laughs> like, I got all these people around me that speak the truth. I have a wife that is really good at speaking truth. <laughs> 
she does it very graceful, graciously, but she is really good at speaking truth. And I have elders that can, I have people around me that can say anything to me at any time. And, and not only that, I have a growth plan and I work on my own stuff. I'm like, I got to deal with this. I got to deal with this. I got to deal with this. Because I want to be my best self and I want to live my best life. This is, this is a passion that I have. But I understand it's a process. Now, man, I've come a million miles from where I used to be when I crashed 11 years ago or whatever it was. But still, I'm like, man, I, I just I want to keep growing. I want to keep walking in freedom. I want to be the me that God created and redeemed me to be. And I understand that it's not a zap, it's a process. Paul told the Philippian church in chapter one, verse six, that God who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. In other words, there is a process involved, not a zap. There's a process. Now, let me tell you this. I thank God for the zap because someone will come up and tell me their testimony and they'll say, I was addicted to this and this and this and God just zapped me. Let me tell you something. Praise God for you and we all hate you. Now... Not really, but we'd love to get the zap. But there's, there's a process involved, and you're not going to become a fruitful tree tomorrow. You're going to become a fruitful tree as you walk out a process. Now, let me, let me tell you something, because the process depends on what, where the growth is needed. And, and there are some components, grace, truth, and time are components no matter where you're at and what you're trying to grow. There are some other things. And, and I was kind of laughing because if you come for pastoral ministry, we do this thing called homework because we can't own your process. Like a res, a, a passive rescue wish doesn't work. Praying that somebody like the pastor pray for me, somebody is at me and all of a sudden I'm doesn't work. Got to walk a process. Now we'll coach you. And so people come for counseling and sat down with my wife one time and asked for counseling. And she said, well, here's some things we got to start doing. And they got mad. They said, well, this is what you tell everybody. And she's like, yeah, because this is what works. <laughs> like, I can pray for you and say, stop it if you want, but this would actually work. <laughs> right? And so people say, well, what works? Now, I'm going to tell you something that's right in front of you that works for everybody. If, if you want to win, first of all, like if you come see me, marriage in crisis, whatever, pastor, we need help. First thing I'm going to ask, how's your church attendance? That's not because I'm legalistic. If you've heard this message, you understand I'm legal. You are not saved by your church attendance. We don't give gold stars on the weekends. But a tree doesn't grow dipping it in soil every now and then. Right? You can't get fruit dipping a tree in soil every now and then. So I'm going to say, how's your church? It's not because I'm a bit legalistic, but because I know you need to be in an environment of truth and faith and grace. So I'll say, how's your church? Then I'm going to say, are you in a life group? And then I'm going to say, are you taking the next step? Like, are you, becoming, are you coming to become 2017? You coming to become the become conference? Are you on a dream team? Do you know why we ask that? Because you know what's greater than your problem? Your purpose. Uh, the people that serve on our dream teams are not people who have no problems. They're just people who are more fixated on their purpose than their problems. That's why they're winning. Because focusing on your problems makes you hopeless. Focusing on your purpose gives you hope. These, these four things, believe it or not, are just things we need people to do so we can have a church. These four things were crafted because this is how you win. 
If, if you're in an environment on the weekends of God's presence and truth and grace and faith, if you're in a life group where you can share your story and get some things from people, if you're taking your next steps, whatever that looks like, yeah, th- I mean, if you're really dealing with critical, critical, critical things, yeah, we, we may need to put you in, in counseling, and we do that a lot with people. You may need to be in a group every week. You may need to be in three, three groups a week, depending on what you're trying to win, where you're at in the process. And so, yeah, there's more stuff than this, but these four things work for everybody no matter where they're at. Are you breathing? Right? We don't, we don't have these things. I wish I just, because we're in East Texas and everybody knows how to do church and everybody's churchy. I wish I could just scream at the top of my lungs. Church, doing church can damn you to hell. That's not what we do here. We don't, I don't like religion right? It's not what we do here. What we do here is we engage God and we follow him fully, right? And we've created structure and system and environments so people can win because I believe you can do more and be more than you can imagine. And God believes that too. And you may just be like me. You need someone to show you a path because you don't know how to win and you don't know how to get there. And what we're saying is we can show you a path and here's where it starts for everybody. Weekend services, life group, take your next step, get on a dream team. That's where it starts. Now, if you have problems outside of that, come in, we'll see you. We can get you to a therapist. We can get you in different groups. We have a ton of resources we can help you with. We'll even pray for you and tell you to stop it if that's what you want. But at the end of the day, all we really want, all I really want at the end of the day, I just want you to win. And I'm not doing this because I need a job. There are a lot more things I could do with less stress, less energy, and more money. I'm not doing this because I need a job. I'm doing this because I believe in people and I want people to win. All right, you've been awesome. I'll let you stand and go home, eat brunch, whatever it is you do. God wants you to win. But there's no, there's no progress if you don't embrace the process.